This episode of Wrestling Changed My Life is brought to you by Spartan Combat. They're hosting a national tournament May 21st through the 23rd in Jacksonville, Florida. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. So when, you're, when you go to work every day trying to get a better job, you're not focusing on the job you have. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Folks, it's time. We're here. We've done it. We have the great Rob Cole, head coach at Cornell, on the podcast today. This episode was recorded last Friday in Ithaca, New York. And so we we're with Coach Cole live and in person, and this bad boy delivers. I hope you enjoy it. And for those of you who don't know who Coach Cole is, he's the head coach at Cornell. When he took over there back in 93-94, you know, Cornell was not on the wrestling radar at a national level. And since then, Cornell has grown into one of the top programs in the country. Here's a couple stats for you just to show how incredible this rise has been. For the past 17 years, they've had at least three All-Americans a year. And in the last 12 years, they've had an NCAA finalist every year. But here's the one that I love. Cornell and Iowa are the only two schools to finish in the top 10 every year since 2008. And Cornell's done all of this without scholarships because the Ivy League doesn't allow their schools to issue athletic scholarships. So it's nothing short of incredible what Coach Cole has done. Okay. Band of the week goes to Kyle Morin. That's Kyle Moore, 12 on the gram. You're a legend. Thank you for the support, my friend. We appreciate it. And that's it. Let's get to the interview with Rob Cole. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Coach Cole, head man at Cornell. Coach, thanks for taking some time. Well, thanks for coming to town. Love it. It's fantastic to see what you build here. Take us back to what it was like day one when you showed up here. You're an assistant for Coach Coach Spades. Well, I, I, it, it, actually, it started. I was away on a trip doing a clinic at Howard for Howard Ferguson at St. Ed's mm-hmm. down in Cleveland. And I always tell a story. I got a call from my wife, and she let me know that she had accepted a job at Cornell, which was which is a little bit of embellishment, but not too much because we were struggling at North Carolina. I was finishing up my degree. I had one class I had to finish up on to get my degree. And uh, and so we were looking forward to doing something different. Mm-hmm. Made the trip up and I actually talked to Jack and I said, hey, you know, I didn't know anything about Cornell. You know, you were back then, you didn't have the internet, mm-hmm. you didn't have cell phones, and, and people don't realize just how 
different it was. You, you found out about wrestling teams by picking up amateur wrestling news once a month and finding out who, who had beaten who and, <laughs> and uh, what teams were good. And if you weren't in the top 25, you weren't, you weren't, you got no, zero publicity. Uh, growing up in State College, Pennsylvania, I'd heard, I knew what Cornell University was, but I didn't know much about the program. And I asked Jack, I go, Jack, I go, honestly, are, are we going to, are we even any good? And he said, he goes, no, but we're going to be. And I still remember that conversation and, and then driving up to Ithaca and it was a day like today. It was overcast and snowy and coming in over in, into the, into that valley, uh, going, uh, good Lord, what have I done? You know, <laughs> it's the middle of nowhere. And, and, and the first day I stepped into that little wrestling room where we had to share with eight other, op you know, literally we shared, we shared our wrestling room with judo, taekwondo, uh, meditation, women's explorations of meditation. I remember that specifically. <laughs> Women's self-defense, uh, a wrestling class, which I had to teach. I taught a wrestling class and I taught uh, a Nautilus. And, wow. uh, and so it was a little bit different. You know, we had, and so you know, we had a one-rate weight room, and, I, and I'm no, not exaggerating. It was maybe twice, it wasn't even twice the size of this room. So it was about, oh, about maybe 3,000, 4,000, no, 3,500 3, 3, 3, square feet. Okay. And, and the entire university, 36 different teams had to use that all at the same time. And so that's, that's kind of what I stepped into. And, and I actually look at that as a real blessing because I, we've come from nothing to where we are today. So I, I see what we, what we have as opposed to some coaches who, who see what they don't have. And I mean, it might sound like the same thing, but it's a huge difference as far as your attitude. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's where, I, where I started. And obviously we've, we've come a long way. And when you talk about having a perspective or an attitude, is that something that comes from your father? I mean, yeah, you, you, I think you emulate your parents. It's quite a, well, obviously you emulate your parents, but you, you take on their personalities and their personas. And my father grew up in the depression, you know, mm. waste not, want not. My mother was, was also in that, from that uh, vintage. And so, you know, you, it, you know, you didn't realize, of course, now today, everyone has, everyone needs their, their phones and their, and, and, and they need to get the latest shoes. And mm -hmm. even if you have no money, you get them. It's really kind of bizarre. I remember as a little boy getting a pair of, uh, of, of shoes for my birthday and, and you know, you don't get a, shoe, you know, a pair of shoes for your birthday, yeah. but they were in a more expensive little pair of Pumas. I still remember them. They were <laughs> white with the red swoosh and I uh, thought I died gone to heaven. You know? <laughs> Dad got me a pair of shoes for my birthday, but you know, he was a full-time tenured professor and full-time wrestling coach at, at Penn State. Uh, but he only had a part-time assistant coach and it was a different world. And he was, he was mandated to teach classes mm -hmm. all through the summer, plus his wrestling camps. And he didn't get, didn't barely make, he didn't make any extra money. That's just part of the job. Wow. And when I came to Cornell, I told him I was, you know, coaching and, and, uh, and when I got the head coaching job after a year, I didn't have to teach classes. And he asked me, I remember he asked me, what do I have to teach? What do I, what do I, what else do I do? I said, well, now I'm a full-time wrestling coach. He's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> what do you do all day? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean what do I do all day? I'm really busy. So uh, the specialization, sports specialization, back when I started, my God, you know, I always, I still consider myself one of the young upcoming coaches, you mm -hmm. know, uh, but I guess I'm not so much anymore. But, you know, I remember when I started coaching, it was, that's what you did. You know, you had, we had coaches. I remember the Virginia Tech coach was uh, the, the soccer coach and the wrestling, women's soccer coach and the wrestling coach. And, and you just did all those things. And, and so now, I mean, you know, it's, it, people just don't understand how good we've got it. Yeah. I mean, you're, to see something like this, knowing, you know, your, your father was the head coach at Penn State for a number of years before that, you and I never lost a college match, an Olympic wrestler, 
Um, so he, you know, really saw things at the grassroots level. But you talk about not specializing. He even took a break from wrestling to serve in the war. Did he talk about that on <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't know if he took a break. <laughs> it's called the draft. Gotcha. You know? <laughs> so there's a, there's a little, the, little difference there. Uh, he didn't talk about the experience until uh, the 50th anniversary, and he went back with, uh, if you know, remember Andy Motter. Andy Motter's father and my father were really good friends, and they went to, back to Normandy, first time he'd ever gone back. And then when he came back, it was very cathartic. He just didn't stop talking about it. It was really interesting. You know, my father... And, and, and the harrowing experiences that he actually went through, you understand when you're strafed by a Messerschmitt or you're, you know, you have got a, you know, you're on a Normandy beach and, and you get off the transport and, and all your buddies drown because you're, they left you out too far in the water and you're, and you're a combat engineer. So you're, you've got a backpack of explosives and, and uh, heavy equipment and you sink. You know, he, then he, he talked about being washed on shore because you, know, you couldn't swim with all that equipment and, you know, you don't take, it doesn't take long to drown and then just shooting up and trying to trying to get up to the kill them before they kill you. And he took a lot of those experiences and applied them to his wrestling. And, you know, I didn't realize it as a young boy, some of his mentality of, of I mean, kill or be killed within the within the framework and the rules of wrestling. And, mm -hmm. and they made the, the slam rule because of his. I mean, I hate to use the word savagery, but it really was. And so he would knock people out and then shake them to make the ref think he was there awake. And the, that was legal back then. What's the slam rule? Like the, that used to be allowed? Yeah, you used to slam the guy. Wow. So you had to bring your knee down before your opponent hit. Well, let me tell you what, you can bring your knee down pretty darn hard. And, yeah. And you would knock the guys out. And, but, you know, when you go through and you're, and, he, and one time, he told, well, he told me about a detail where he had to clean up the beaches after the invasion. And, you know, when you're cleaning up beaches and you're, these people are getting hit by howitzers and mortar shells, it's, it's horrible, you know, and so he's cleaning up body parts is what he meant. And uh, oh my God. after you see things like that, you know, you know, well, there were a lot of them who did who got to see that. But, you know, back, you, you don't worry about slamming someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, and a lot of the, all the guys he was wrestling, of course, all, most of the people they were, he was wrestling back then, they were also, they, everyone served. People don't realize everyone served. Yeah. And, and he volunteered. He said he volunteered because he wanted to volunteer before he got drafted because it didn't really matter. It was just a matter of time. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, that was it was uh, a different life experience for him, and so he, you know, I, I can't remember where my what, what your question was. I forgot the question already. It was just the uh, you know taking a break to serve your country, but then something you had said was it impacted his wrestling, and that was kind of where I was going. Yeah. How did that impact his parenting and his wrestling? So he used to talk about visualization before there was such a thing as visualization, and and he didn't know it was the psychological terms and what they do with sports, you know, sports psychology now. But I remember as a as a young boy, one of his pet peeves. It was, uh, you know, one, his golden rule, basically, you don't get ridden. You just don't get ridden. It was a uh, the masculinization of, of, you, of, of everything <laughs> you're, you're, you hold dear. And in the Cole family, you just didn't get ridden. And uh, I, I still remember the one time I did in college, he, he just looked at disgust in his eye. He was like, right, <laughs> that's not happening again. And that's actually a true story. I still remember that. But anyway, um, wow. yeah, he would, he would talk about how when he would go on a, on the mat, he would see his opponent and and he would imagine that person has was has, had done horrible things to his mother and and he would just he at that point in time he could get himself built up to a, um, a frenzy that he could take he felt like he would take a fork and put it through his eye <sighs> and that person's eye on his own yeah yeah and and, <laughs> and at the time oh like, wow, that's uh, that's kind of messed up but you know you're but he could then he could really focus that energy and that aggression 
and for moments of a time and turn it on and turn it off. The problem is with that type of mentality, if you try to go out and wrestle a match like that, you're going to be exhausted within 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, I would do it, for instance, when I was on bottom. I, I, I remember training it for years and years and years and then being in the practice room at, at North Carolina. And it's just practice, but you have to make practice real mm. and, and not getting away and literally getting so emotional and I'm tearing up uh, because I didn't get away. It was because it was I made it real. I made it real. And, it, and I used to think of the same thing. I would project something horrible is going to happen to my family. And, but it's a game, you know, and, and it's, it's just a psychological game that you, you play and you train. And, and I, I would, I talk about that type of stuff in camps, you know, and, and to our kids, but you know, you can't just go, okay, well, I'll do that. So they get on the mat and say, go, well, you can't make it real. You have to take years and years and years of training to make it to where literally I could, I can do it right now. I mean, if, if I start to do it, I, I mean, I could get my hand to start shaking. Just, just, I mean, I can turn it off and on. It's, it's really kind of interesting how you can control those you know, whatever, whatever Emotions. hormones are going through yeah. your body, but you got to be able to turn it off or you'll be absolutely exhausted. And so for me, it was, if I got in on a single, if I got in on, and I was probably 10% as effective as my father, mm -hmm. and, but the one area I was proud to say when I was on bottom, no one would ride me for, for more than a second or two. And, and, uh, you know, maybe they gave me more opportunities to take me down, but, but, <laughs> but boy, damn it, I was good on bottom. Wow. It's interesting to hear you say that you didn't have that mentality before a match, though. You were, how would you describe your mentality before a match if it wasn't that controlled anger? Was it more of a loose? Kind well, you of don't thing? want to be control, have a controlled anger before the match and just get your, you know, wear yourself out. I mean, I've seen so many kids just get it, it, exhausted before they even step on the mat yeah. and they're just wet rag by the time they, the second period comes around. You gotta be able to control yourself and, and turn it off and turn it on. And so you hit a, hit a shot, you turn it on, you know, you finish that shot, you turn it off and, and you'll be able to breathe again. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like running a sprint, but it's more intense. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. I mean, to think that that was your mentality on bottom and these guys on top maybe don't know that. And then they get on top of you and you're like, it's just an animal. Well, they guy. found it out pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't care if they got hurt. If they, got, if they were behind me, their, my head was going to go through theirs and, and my elbows and everything else. And, and so in practice, people would just, just let you go. And, they, and you know, like, I tell you, if, if, if you make it really hard for someone, they, they don't like the it's, it. Most people won't ride you. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I do. I still remember being out in Iowa and, and uh, I, it was finals of uh, the Cyclone Open and... Uh, Oh, golly. He's wrestled for Oklahoma State from New Jersey. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, he rode me. And uh, after that, my father came in. It's like, don't ever let that happen. It was embarrassing. You know, and he never, he never would say those. He was the kindest soul you'd ever want to meet. You yeah. never imagined the stuff he'd gone through. And I mean, he, he adopted puppies and we brought in children. I mean, he was just a saintly man, but <laughs> don't get ridden. You know? <laughs> That's one thing you can control. And, yeah. and, I, and the attitude was, if your life depended on it, would you get ridden? Now, obviously, I had that attitude, and I remember I was on a world team with Bruce, and I, I roomed with Bruce Baumgartner, and I, Bruce, I go, you, you know, you couldn't ride. I honestly felt that way because yeah, I believed it. Yeah. And then Bruce got on me with those giant grizzly bear arms and <laughs> squeezed me, and I, I realized, oh my God, he could break my ribs. He could literally crush through my ribs, and and oh my I say, like, all, right, all right, make one exception, unless you're wrestling Bruce Baumgartner. <laughs> that's the, that's the one exception. Now. On the track of mindset, before we shift to your coaching career, 1990 World Team Trials. You're in the finals against the great Kenny Monday. You lose match one. 
Where are you at mentality-wise, back at the hotel or backstage, before you're getting out there for matches two and three? I remember walking out of the palestra, and Wade Chalice comforts me and, and lets me know. He goes, hey, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have your time. You're going to be fine. Don't, don't, you know, your, your time's coming. And it just was so insulting. Like, what the heck? And I'm friends with Wade. Yeah. You know, I've never told the story, but it just pissed me off so bad. My family was there and everything. You know, I don't know. I think I went down to have a beer. You know, I just was, you know, just, I was, it wasn't like, you know, I just, but it was just, just to relax because I was so pissed. Mm. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm not waiting. I'm not going to wait for this. And, you know, and I had an advantage. Kenny had to come through that ladder, you know, mm -hmm. so which, which, uh, but hey, that's, that's, that was the system at the time. And, uh, and I had a good, I had had good matches with him before. Uh, I mean, I felt like I got, I, at Oklahoma, we wrestled. I think I lost a one point match. I really felt like I got jobbed mm -hmm. that match. I had more trouble with guys like Dave Schultz. He completely controlled the ties. He, uh, he knew he got into my head. To, uh, and I probably wrestled him seven times. I beat him once. You know, mm. I lost to him in overtime, maybe like four or five times, which, you know, it, it wasn't like I was tired. It just, he just was so masterful. And I, I, even to this day, everything I do, not everything, but so much that I do in freestyle is, is from what he taught me. Really? Um, Cause he brought me from, I was wrestling in New York AC yeah. and I went to Russia with him, spent two weeks with Dave and, and, and then, joined Foxcatcher, which was, wow. you know, obviously a, that's another story altogether. Sure. Uh, you need a whole podcast to go over there, you know, but, um, what was the experience in Russia with Dave? Like, cause he was beloved over there, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, it was great. Well, it was great. Cause he could only one on the, on the trip who could speak Russian, <laughs> you know? So you always wanted to be with Dave. Uh, but, and that was back right as it was right after it was break, it had, it had broken. I've been over, I went over a couple times with him and, uh, it, the Soviet Union had just broken mm -hmm. up. My, my fondest memory was, I remember we wrestled in a, in a town called Ojeknitz. I don't know where, if it has it anymore. And it was middle of nowhere. We flew over the, the Caucasus. I can't remember what mountain range. Mm -hmm. And we came back and we, we'd won these uh, ice skates because that's what they gave you. They gave you ice skates. Well, they, I, I went to one tournament, I remember in, in, in Turkey that we won vacuum cleaners, but they didn't work on US current. <laughs> So, so I still remember John Smith giving his away. It was like the mo the biggest insult to anybody. These were like, oh, he gave away his, this treasured <laughs> vacuum cleaner. It's like, what the heck am I going to do with a vacuum cleaner? Uh, oh my god! But we got ice skates in this one. But well, I got a size fit. Well, I, I, I didn't win the match, so you only gave it to you if you won. Okay. And I remember, I still remember wrestling a guy named Gajikanov, and, and uh, when I actually wrestled a couple weeks later and got a little revenge, but uh, I gave him these ice skates. Or they gave the guys who won ice skates. So Dave had a nice a pair of ice skates. Somebody else, and so we bar I borrowed the the, the winners, um, <laughs> which were like size 15, and Dave's were like size 12, and he had you know it, it wasn't even close to fitting his foot. And and we and we went out and we were jet lagged. We we're flying out the next day. And we we're right outside of Red Square, and in Russia back then it was very the, the it was like a red, uh, not fog, but uh, so dirty, you mm. know, such a deep, uh, so much pollution in the air. And it just like this surreal scene and it's three or four in the morning and we're on a reservoir, frozen reservoir, just ice skating with Dave. And it was just, and you could see the, you could see the, 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 arch, the Russian architecture in the background. It was just beautiful. And, and, and then a, a cop came to arrest us or, or find out what the heck we're doing and what the heck are you doing? Oh. And, and Dave, spoke to him and got us off, got us off. But I just, I just remember it so vividly, just looking and you could see, uh, you know, is it St. 
what's it? Oh, St. Petersburg Saint Square? Pe no, not St. Petersburg. You're in Moscow. Uh, St. Saint, Saint Peter's, not St. Uh, whatever. You know, yeah. you know the, the iconic uh, uh, architecture. And, and uh, I can see it in my mind. Those yeah, I'm embarrassed that I, I pride myself on my historical knowledge, and I'm obviously not as as uh, good as I thought I was. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it, it was just a really great, great moment and uh, something I really, again, we, we'd go down walking through the, the, the town and back then they had all the, you know, the Matryoshka dolls and the lacquer boxes. And, and, and at that time they weren't as many fakes that are coming out, but you, you know, they're worth, they're quite valuable. And, and Dave would help you barter, the, you know, cause you start off at five trillion rubles and, <laughs> and you get down to 30 by the time you're done with it. And, and uh, so I still have a lot of those keepsakes as well. And, wow. I was interviewing uh, Coach Smith this, this August for a documentary I just did, and he has those lacquer boxes as proud as anything he's, and I didn't even know what it was, and you just mentioned it there. It's like, what is a lacquer, like I can't even. Yeah, I, I remember giving Jack one, Jack Spates one when he left. I don't think he had a clue what it was. It was, you know, it had, it's, 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 it's just, they, they build these basically paper mache, I believe, and, they, and then they paint layer upon layer upon layer of, le of lacquer. And and they had, and the one I gave them I remember had mother of pearl and gold and silver I mean really precious material metals and um, they're worth depending upon what you get hundreds of thousands of dollars or or they're worth fifty or ten bucks depending if you get the, the fakes and yeah. the, the the knockoffs and uh, depending upon what region in Russia that you that there's there's different styles different themes that come from different areas of Russia and uh, after. Lenin and Stalin and they took over, they, they pretty much crushed it. And, mm. and, and then they realized they can make some money off it. And they, they started up those, those little art, art, art artisans got going again. And they, the government started backing them and, and uh, supporting them again. And, and, but they had lost, for, I believe for a while, they had almost lost some of the, the, the art, yeah. the stylistic, because they thought it was anti, uh, the, 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 uh, government or the, the whatever you want to call it the, the party party line it wasn't the party line so wow uh, yeah but uh, but no i've got a, a nice collection and and there were you i'd always had the uh the different doll the little the little nesting dolls yeah little matryoshka dolls but i like i love and obviously john does too love the lacquer boxes yeah and so that's you 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 have this incredible career you you travel the world and then you settled on as the head coach. I didn't realize how much you were still wrestling when you were the head yeah. coach. I mean, up till 98, you were still wrestling uh, in the trials. What was the big turning point for you as a coach at the helm of Cornell? Well, I didn't wrestle because I loved it. I actually, I'm not necessarily proud of it. I'm not embarrassed, but I wrestled because, I mean, I literally was poor and we had support. USA Wrestling was paying us and then obviously Foxcatcher was supporting us. Um, when, I went to, when I made the world team, my wife was able to fly to Japan with us, with me, and, and uh, so there was a financial component to it uh, that helped me survive. And Carol at Cornell, you can talk to Steve Garland, you know, and ask what he was making, you know, yeah. when, when he first came here, or, or Brian Smith. I think Brian Smith made twelve thousand dollars, and you know, he, was a, he was a substitute teacher. So I came in with Brian Smith. I made eighteen and thought I'd died and gone to heaven, and but it wasn't enough to pay the barely pay the bills, and then and then uh, Brian. You know, that Brian was making maybe, I think he made 12. You know, I think so he had to substitute teach. Uh, but that's just how it was back then. And then I became a head coach. I didn't make, whole, I didn't make much more. So I was still still competing on and off. And uh, and I knew as soon as I started losing to people who were younger than me, I was going to get out of it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's when I, and, and I had a lot, of in, a lot of nagging injuries and neck injuries. But I, I could show up and take top two or three. And, and 
Uh, it, but it, but it certainly wasn't my passion. My passion was coaching. I love I love the coaching side of, of of the sport, and uh, and and we also didn't have I didn't have training partners. I mean, I wrestled. I remember training with the uh, head coach Marty Nichols of Ithaca College, and then a guy named John Cottmel, who was a 125 pounder in college, and and uh, he was a he was a high school teacher. You know, so there, wow. <laughs> the Cornell guys there wasn't there wasn't uh, it wasn't the kind of level of competition. So I would drive down to Foxcatcher and work out with Dave and some other people on weekends to try to get a workout. Wow, that's pretty pretty crazy. Just the difference of your guys now. I mean, you know, we're talking about your your current roster of Olympians. We were talking to Yanni last night. You guys could have three, four Olympians and not blink an eye at it this year at the Olympic trials. And you think back to what your experience was like trying to make a run at you know, 92 and 96. Um, so in between, before we get to the current stuff now, Talk to us about like the building of the Cornell program. You know, an easy answer would just be how'd you do it, but you know, maybe you know, what what are some things you learned along the way from you know in '98 you guys were like tied for 63rd, but then now you've been excuse me top four, top five, you know, pretty much every year since. Well, I, I talk about this a lot. I speak to it when I go to NWCA the conventions when we talk about building the program. And I remember when I was younger, I would always I was looking to my left and my right looking for the next opportunity. And, and I worked that way. I mean, I, I came to work thinking, well, how am I going to get the next job? And, and uh, it's not a gl- glamorous or, 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 or happy story how that works out when, when coaches are just looking for a better deal. Um, so when, you're, when you go to work every day trying to get a better job, you're not focusing on the job you have, I think, sometimes. And, and I wasn't building connections and networks and, and relationships at this place. I was trying to get, because why would I? Why would I spend time developing things that would not be good for me when I'm coaching at another place at, mm-hmm. at, at, a, at a Big Ten or a, an ACC? And then I remember applying for any number of different school, any different programs, and uh, I didn't get it. I remember it was the first one was Purdue, and I knew the I knew the AD at Purdue, and and they hired uh, Jesse Reyes, and I applied, and, I, and so then it was, it was I think Lehigh came up and. And uh, and then North Carolina Greensboro and all the, I wasn't even getting interviews. I wasn't even getting interviews. And this is <laughs> so, why you're the head coach here. And when I well, I was a head coach. Yeah, well, you know, UNC Greensboro I was an assistant coach, but the other ones was because I was really not a great situation. It was it was we had to we couldn't I didn't have the wrestling room. I had the wrestling room for two hours a day. It was so frustrating. I couldn't work with the guys. I couldn't do anything. And uh, and and yet we had had success with Jack Spates because he was so much better at the job than I was, and he had he had nurtured relationships with the admissions and financial aid and and he was getting better kids into school accepted that i wasn't because i and i always tell people i, I thought i could just inherit these relationships we don't inherit relationships you have to, you have to develop yeah. them and just because someone was friends with jack doesn't mean they like me <laughs> true and, and uh and and so i really after all the after re, the rejection upon rejection upon rejection i remember doubling down and going, you know what, I might be here for a long time I, or I need to get into a different career. And uh, really making a commitment to all the things that are that make your program successful. And that's and I always had friends with alumni, but I needed to look the, it, the lifeblood of our program is is in fundraising. You know, you have to have the resources because yeah. Cornell's not going to give it to you. It has to come from another source. And and so really focused on on building those relationships building relationships within the cornell community within the town and uh lo and behold uh it didn't take as long as i thought to start those those relationships start to to blossom and and you know i 
and I tell those, the young coaches, I go, you know, if I left here, those, those, those connections, and those relationships would still be yeah. with me. So I would make, I'd be a more effective coach if I were at you know, Florida, started a program, I, I could take them with me. So, um, I know that was pretty much the, the, you know, it didn't just so happen, but people, you know, Arno Neiman, uh, one of our alumni always says Cornell wrestling, uh, overnight sensation, you know, 32 years in the making, yeah. you know, it, it didn't just happen. It took a long, long time. And, and then we got a couple, uh, I remember when Jack came in Spates, he, he got, uh, Mark Ferguson was our top. I remember when we got Mark Ferguson, people don't remember Mark Ferguson. He's actually now Dean of the medical school, uh, at Oklahoma and, uh, was a two-time all American beat Colat, beat Jaworski, wow. but yet people don't remember him. He was phenomenal, had some injury issues or else would have been probably a, a multiple time national champ, I think, or if he had been wrestling for us today with the kind of competition we have in our room. Uh, David Hirsch won a national championship and then I let it, let it slide because I wasn't getting the right types of, the right, the, the right talent level. But it really was uh, Travis Lee, who is the one I think who, who kind of ride the ship. Travis Lee followed by you know, uh, Troy Nickerson and Jordan Lean, some kids who slightly unheralded. Uh, Troy Nickerson wasn't. But, yeah. But Jordan Lean from Tennessee and Travis Lee from Hawaii. And, and we could tell the story. It's like, hey, if you can win a national championship coming out of Tennessee or North or Hawaii, imagine what you, what you can do, you know, if, if you're, you know, you already start off with uh, the talent. And, yeah. And so then, and, and learned how to recruit better. And I learned how to, you know, we, then we started building the resources. And, and then, of course, Friedman Center. Came out, we were able to to get the, the Friedman Center built. When was that? Oh one. I was 21, 21, 22 years ago. I'm terrible with years. Yeah. So, um, so it was like twenty one or twenty two years ago, and 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 but at the and then we took fourth in the country that year. But we but but we did it with kids that we had recruited from the other little place. So it wasn't, and by that time we had been able to have the room all day long. We yeah. were able to get rid of. <laughs> we didn't have to share with boxing and everybody else, and. Uh, and that was the you know, Dustin Minotti and and Travis and uh, Mike Mormile, Joe Mazurko and uh, Tyler Shovlin. People you don't know the names, but just some some real journeyman wrestlers who were not just all the superstars. But uh, Jerry Rinaldi came in at that point in time, who was outstanding. Uh, so we had we had some some uh, guys who paved the way. Yeah. And, uh, and and once you know a little a little success makes it easier to have more success because now you're on the people know who you are. My first call, whenever I call a person from the state of Iowa, the first 10 minutes of the call, you'd have to convince them you're not a division three program. Yeah, because they're quite college. And I'm not, I'm not, yeah. no exaggeration. And even in our early years, it wasn't just Iowa. People would, you know, you talk to a kid for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you, and then you'd ask you, so what division are you? Like, oh my God. Oh. You know, it was, that's, <laughs> it was so depressing. That's, uh, that's where you guys started from. And then, you know, you start getting recruits like a, like a Dake um, who, you know, I don't know if he was a, a Yanni level in high school, but certainly right up there. Um, but talk to us about Gabe Dean a little bit. He was yeah. unheralded as a high school wrestler from what he tells me. What's your experience like with Gabe? Yeah, you know, I mean, unheralded, you know, he's mod, he's being modest. He was still, uh, he didn't win. Uh, you know what? He was a one-time state champ, I think, and, and uh, his runner-up is, but, but, you know, he has, he had good DNA. Yeah. You know, his mother was very athletic. Um, I'm sorry, Dave. You know, <laughs> his father was obviously a national finalist at, uh, at Minnesota. And so that was a tough one because I remember actually Martin Floriani introduced us uh, in New York City at, at Beat the Streets and uh, uh, introduced me to, and I had known Dave because he wrestled at the same time as I wrestled. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'd heard that his son was going to go play football. 
but he was a little short. Damien Hahn and I went out to see him, and, and it was mad. It was just, there's some times you go in and you hit it off with the family, you're like, all right, this one's ours. Uh, but then we had to make the money work, and, and that's hard because we have very little control over the financial aid. It's, it's you know, if you make too much, you're not going to get anything. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so that was, that was, you know, they had to make some sacrifices to send their son to Cornell, and thank goodness they, they felt comfortable in yeah. doing it because not just, not just Gabe, but Max. Um, so, yeah, so, but he, he had the intangibles. It, you know, college wrestling in particular, you get real far on being real tough. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not the same so much in freestyle. You have to have a very high level of athleticism. Uh, and, and he is very athletic, by the way. But, but he's just unbelievably tough as is Max. And, uh, and as the, the parents are tough, you know. So um, that was obviously a, that was a, a huge pickup for us. We didn't know at the time because we, had, we were recruiting three or four other guys who were better than him on paper. Yeah. We got the worst one of the bunch. Thank God. Yeah. You know, so, and we actually, we got a couple others at that time who were way, recruited way, were way higher ranked, but the rankings are, you know, are only as good as uh, the people in them. Well, his pace is so high. I mean, just watching him drill yesterday, I mean, he's just going. Was he, has he always been like that? Yeah. 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 No, I remember when he first came in and that's back when I could whip him. And, uh, and I did. And, and I still, I mean, it was a while ago and, and because he was just, he, but he went so hard but he made so many mistakes. Mm. And uh, he reminds me of Cam Simas, and Cam Simas trained Gabe a lot early on. And, and Cam is another name I forgot to mention, but you know, Cam really yeah. helped put us on the, on, the, on the map. But he just, you know, if, you, you're gonna, if he makes, made a lot of mistakes, but he did it so hard and so often that it eventually he just, just break people. And by his senior year and ju junior year, he was just incredibly, incredibly dominant. Uh, obviously, we were really disappointed in, his, in his, his last match of his of his career, and that set him back a while. You know, it was really emotional. I mean, he, was, he didn't. That wasn't his best game. Now, Bo obviously has, had turned into a phenomenal wrestler. I think at that moment, at that moment in time, Gabe was was better. But uh, you know, ultimately, Bo has had has one of the best careers anyone ever. Um, yeah. But but uh, at that moment in time, I think Gabe should have pulled it off, but he didn't, and that was definitely in a kind of a you know, it wasn't it wasn't the just sheer ability on that one. I think it was just emotionally, Penn State had had everything going at the right time, and and uh, and we didn't. Yeah, and that's something where you look at he is wrestling Bo next Tuesday, um, but just in general, him coming back, I think, is really interesting because you know when I interviewed him two years ago, he was you know fully into the coaching, and he's like you know being a coach is selfless; it's the right way to live. Whereas an athlete, it's very selfish. Um, how did this like? Where were you when you heard that he was maybe coming back, or how did this come about? I, well, I mean, pandemic's a great thing for you, right? I mean, it's what else are you gonna do? Uh, I don't know if I get credit for it or not. I do know that I watched him beat Kyle in practice, and uh, afterwards I was like, "You have to come out. You have to come out." Now I'm thinking he must have been thinking about it prior to that, you know. And and you know, I watched him wrestle in practice the other day, and it, it was ugly. Kyle beat the living daylight out of him. So it's not, I wasn't, yeah. not, it's not like he goes and beats Kyle. I'm not trying to say that. Um, but that one day, it doesn't matter if you do it once or once every 10 days. If you can go with Kyle, what are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, he, Kyle arguably can make the team at you know, a couple different weights. And uh, he's, he's that good. And, and so then I spoke to him. I don't know if I had any influence on his decision or not, but I know that shortly afterwards he... He, I, I find these things out on Twitter and Instagram. So guys, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly a social media force. Yeah. Although, although I do have 2,000 followers. You're up to 2,000. I'm up to over 2,000 now in, in Twitter. Um, 
How about Instagram? I checked out the profile yesterday. It's, I, I it's think, a little bleak on I've there. I've only done one Instagram post. <laughs> I, and I think, I think I've done an Instagram post. I, I don't know if I followed or whatever you do. Uh, but yeah, I've got my, uh, it's a, almost a cult I've got going with me now. I like on Twitter it. followers. I like to call them my, my flock. <laughs> the Coach Cole flock. We'll, <laughs> we'll wind down with this one, Coach. Um, you mentioned Kyle Dake already. We were talking to Yanni and Vito last night. Um, it, yeah, it's just incredible to think how many Olympians Cornell could put on the team. It could be zero, could be four, could be, I don't know if there's guys at the other two weights. But, yeah, I don't know, I don't think so. So, could have four Olympians, which is, if that's the case, I'm moving to Ithaca and we're hanging out all summer doing behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> but before that, we got to get to the Olympic trials. Seven weeks out, Royce Alger once told me that the Olympic trials is like one of the most interesting tournaments in the sense that if you win it, you're getting fitted with Versace, you're getting you know all the warm-ups. If you lose, you're walking to stake and shaking the rain. Um, and I think he's referencing the 92 trials when Jackson beat him. Coming into this trials in 2021, I mean, for folks who are maybe Spartan followers but don't know wrestling, what are the stakes of the Olympic trials? It's, I don't know if there's anything that's more all or nothing. I mean, I made a world team. I've won World Cups. I placed, you know, I, I, I've done beaten many many world champions and it's, it's rob who you know and now i'm older and dirt now yeah. but even when i wasn't it, it, it just unless you make unless you get on that olympic team there's a huge asterisk as to your career and uh and, and that's that's just how it is you know kyle dake is arguably one of the great great greatest wrestlers in the, in the world right now and and if he doesn't make the darren olympic team yeah well, that's great but nobody gives a darn and it's, it's just, you know, not that there's not money now as far as just the, the, the rewards, if you're talking financial rewards. Uh, there are certainly significant rewards now winning world championships, mm -hmm. but the Olympics is where NBC comes in and, and there's tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, uh, billions of people watching as yeah. opposed to uh, five, five to 10,000 wrestling fans. And it just, it just, you know, you put an exponent, the, the exponential uh, difference is, hard to hard to fathom because it's 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 arguably easier uh to win an olympic gold medal than a world championship because isn't that funny yeah you don't have 50 different stons in there you know you have a <laughs> lot of them and, you know, yeah and, and and you're gonna have a higher level your average person's gonna be better but you might have a few guys missing missing the boat i mean heck we got a we got that situation in 65 right now in the united states we got to qualify the darn weight you know, i forgot so, about that wow yeah you can make the team and not be an olympian Wow, that's a whole other can of worms. I totally forgot about that. The fact that, you know, we're this, this close to it, it's kind of surreal to me. You know, I mean, your guys are wrestling next Tuesday, maybe again in March in New Jersey. But after that, I would think things start getting real, real focused around here um, in the sense of maybe not doing as many extra matches. Um, I mean, it's just, just exciting to think we're that close to it. Last question, Coach. We're in the, a room here decorated with Spartan stuff. They sponsor your RTC guys, um, Yanni, Dag, Vito, the whole, the whole lot of them. Tell me about the impact of, of Spartan and, and the relationship you built with Joe DeSena. Uh, I, love, I love telling this story about the first time I met Joe. I was talking to uh, Mike Novogratz. I think I told you this yeah. story earlier. And uh, he goes, you should, you should, you should give uh, Joe DeSena. You should talk to this Joe DeSena meet, or meet this Joe DeSena. I go, who the hell is Joe DeSena? He said, you ever hear of Spartan races? I go, oh, yeah, of course I've heard that. I said, well, joke. I said, uh, Mike, give me his number. So I get his number and I, I just cold call him. It was a hell of a cold call, you know. And, Heck and, uh, yeah, it was. And, and literally within five minutes, he's outside our door. He had had, he just happened to be walking across campus. And if you ever meet Joe, he's, he has his three little, little boys and he, they're all carrying kettlebells 
across the campus. <laughs> if you ever been on Cornell's campus, it's all uphill. Even when you're going down, it's uphill. It's crazy. And, and these, these poor little bastard, little little guys <laughs> were, were smiling, you know, like, what the heck is going on here? What's this? What's the secret? Uh, and, and I do remember Novarat saying, you know, he's nuts, but he's our kind of nuts. And, and it's true. I mean, he is, whatever he does, he is 100% into it. And you got to be careful when you talk to him. It's like, if you throw an idea out, he goes, okay, do it. I'm like, um, well, I, you know, hold on now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one, I don't have the resources to do that. He goes, oh, I'll take care of it. But you know, he, I know he wants to win and it's, and I like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and it's fun to be with people like that who are in the same kind of, you know, whether it's, you know, Spartan races or if it's wrestling or health or wellness, he wants to be the best at it. And, and he has a really good heart too. I mean, he's, it's not just, I mean, he doesn't do this for the financial rewards. Not that he, you know, not that he's going to turn them down, but right. it, he really wants to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and I know in coaching, that's the same way I like, it's, it, it's the same way with Mac with his other things like I could have done. Uh, but I really enjoy the coaching aspect of it and, and seeing these kids uh, go on and have great success. And that's that, you know, and, and as frustrated as I am at Cornell because of their um, policy, I don't want to get myself too. I want to have a couple more years. Sure. Uh, I do love the type of kids we attract because of because of the academics. I went to a school in North Carolina. It was a good school. I would never have known it. You know how I went to school. I went there to get an education. I, I went to school. At, I went to North Carolina to get a degree. People come to Cornell to get an education. Mm. It's like crazy, but I should never, you know. I, I and I always, I always reference my walking across campus with Lenny Bernstein and Enzo Cattulo. Sorry, Enzo, if you hear this, but we're walking across, and he pulled, we pull out the Daily Tar Heel, and and uh, there was a ranking that had Carolina as like number 20, 20th in the country. And he looks at us, he goes, "Hey, did you know this was a good school?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Wow." Now Enzo's gone on to be incredibly successful. He's very intelligent, but at that time, that was the mentality. Wow. And he didn't even, I mean, it was, it wasn't even, it was like, oh, I came here. He didn't even know it. And that's, we were getting, you know, you get sold on something to come here to wrestle and, and it's, it's warm and it's a beautiful place. And, and, uh, you know, obviously we have to recruit a little differently because if we just, uh, we don't just recruit for the wrestling, we recruit for the whole experience. Yeah. And, uh, and our alumni have been fantastic. I mean, not just, you know, financially as far as what they've done here, but, you know, getting jobs for our kids and internships for our kids. It's uh, it's kind of a cradle to grave uh, experience. Put it's my a, little put my little recruiting pitch in there. For yeah, you. put it in, folks. I tell you what, after coming here, I can't I can't understand why you got the education, the coaching staff, world champions, the facilities. I can't understand why someone wouldn't come here if they have the, the grades and the wrestling shops to do so. Um, Coach, you've been incredibly gracious with your time. Thank you very much, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's the end of this episode. Thank you to our sponsor, Spartan Combat. Please go to SpartanCombat.com to register for their national tournament taking place May 21st through the 23rd in Jacksonville, Florida. To see video clips of this interview, go to Wrestling Changed My Life on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We'll see you next time.